Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good morning, everybody. Today we're going to talk about the most famous, most victorious the sharpest sword. My name is Ryland. Hope you enjoyed today's message. Welcome to everyone uh, listening on podcast later this week. Glad you're here for this. Uh, before we get into it, I want to give you an update on a few things that you were a part of. Maybe you realize, maybe you don't. A couple weeks ago, I gave you a, a, just a thank you note or passed along a thank you note from Eben Ministries, who we helped on serve day and uh, that was powerful a powerful thank you from them wanted to uh, give you a couple of other updates where your generosity is making a difference these days of course we had our monthly food drop yesterday hundreds of people came through many rockbrook uh, people serving to make that happen adults teens kids all working together out in the heat uh, to serve in that food drop so way to go with that everybody also we're celebrating because a church plant in Kansas City called Glory Church has some exciting things going on. Some of you are familiar with Glory Church. Maybe you've helped them with a serve day project the last couple of years or uh, something else. But Glory Church planted in February of 2020. Come on, somebody, do the math. That's not a great time to plant a church, right? And they have endured a lot as a new congregation in the heart of the city uh, but they've managed to grow in, uh, in spite of a lot of restrictions and setbacks and being at the mercy of different venues and of the county and of the city. And they've managed to serve a lot of people, make an impact. And so since they started their church, they've had their eyes on a building right in the area where they were called to plant a church, uh, which is at Linwood and Troost. And Rockbrook has helped them with getting the building and doing some major remodel on the building to get it up to code, needed a sprinkler system, uh, all different kinds of things that need to happen in that building uh, for it to be released as a gathering space. But it's gonna be able to hold a lot of people, do a lot of different things. It's gonna be their gathering space, a wedding venue. Uh, they've, got, they've put in showers and uh, food pantry and uh, clothing, different things for the homeless. And they've done an amazing job with the transformation they're a couple of months away from their grand opening when the space that they rent every week on Sunday morning uh, said, you've got to be done and kick them out. And so they had no place to go. So they did a work project for their first Sunday morning in their new building and all got together in there. Everybody had to do something, lay, lay a piece of flooring, put together a table, do something for uh, the church. And of course they sang and had a powerful message and everything else. And so we're excited for them. Pastor Greg uh, told me to tell Rockbrook that they could not have done this without Rockbrook Church. They're looking forward to October 2nd as a grand opening in their building. So we're praying for them, supporting them. I wanted to thank you for your generosity and just show you a place where it's making an impact uh, that maybe you don't get to see often. Uh, in that same kind of spirit, we had something fun happen this week where we were able to be generous with someone 
uh, through some connections. Kathy Putnam in our church connected us with a leader in Iowa who is starting Friday nights of worship and needed some equipment. So uh, Pastor Chris uh, helped with donating some equipment of ours. Pastor Kenny uh, gave some things away as well and did some training and we got them set up with a sound system. They met Friday night for the first night for these uh, nights of worship. And I'll just say this kind of stuff happens all the time uh, through the church, through our small groups, through our people. Just, it's such an honor to be part of a church that has an open hand and is giving and is generous, is making a difference. So many things, exciting things happening around here as well. Exciting fall coming up. Let me just quickly just bounce off of a few things here. Uh, Rockbrook for Kids is rocking it. Had a great summer. They're starting their small groups in a couple weeks. Student Ministries is launching a powerful fall uh, semester of small groups where they're going to be doing a study on resilience. Raise Them Strong is what it's called. And it helps with building emotional resilience and being strong emotionally. Uh, we'll begin our foundations course again. Uh, that's going to meet on Sunday mornings. Zach and Leah and Tom, Andrew, Kelly, Patrick are preparing their messages for that. It'll help you understand, build into your life core doctrines of just what, what Christians believe. Uh, where did we get the Bible? How can we trust it? Uh, what is God like? Who is Jesus? What can the Holy Spirit uh, do for me? And and we'll begin looking at that Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. You can connect with that, or if you want uh, your small, if your small group still looking for something to do, you can maybe come to that as a small group. Then we're continuing um, uh, small groups this fall, doing another launch of those. Everyone needs to be connected to a small group, be connected in godly relationships, be growing with others pushing other people, having them push you, encouraging others, having them encourage you. But uh, just in time for the rain to quiet down, we're going to begin our series now on our begin, continue on, on the armor of God. Armor of God, it's this illustration. By the way, all that stuff that I just mentioned, can I just get a yes or amen from somebody of how it just... That's good stuff, all right? Let's be excited this morning of what God is, is doing in the life of our church family and in uh, churches around us and in our faith. But this illustration on the armor of God comes from uh, the Apostle Paul looking at a Roman guard dressed for battle, and he's saying, you know, that's really, that's really pretty accurate of what the Christian life needs, is you need to have armor, but you need to have not the armor of the Roman guard, but you need to have the armor of God in your life and on your mind. And so I put in your notes again, uh, I, I broke it up this time as though it were an outline, like how we're going through it, of what Ephesians 6 tells us we need. And he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth. And so we talked about truth and where truth comes from and how to get it into your life. And the breastplate of righteousness. And we talked about how to get right with God and how to have righteousness in your life. And then the feet fitted with and Pastor Tom gave us an incredible message on the gospel of peace and how to have peace in the midst of the storms and in the midst of the battle. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. And we talked about what real faith is and, and, and that it's not as confusing as we make it sometimes. And then 
Uh, Patrick helped us with the helmet of salvation and made the connection to salvation being rescue. And when we see it as rescue, it just clears up so many questions about salvation. And then today, we'll look at the sword of the Spirit. By the way, uh, the Apostle Paul goes on to finish this section out, and we'll finish it next week with this as well on prayer. And next week, I'm going to give you a message on how to pray, how to pray shorter, more succinct, significant, simple, spirit-led prayers. I know that's a long title, but we'll see what happens, especially for the topic. But I'm excited for next week's message on, on prayer. But today we've got the sword of the Spirit. Who here likes swords? Anybody like swords, fan of swords? Yeah, a few of you. I love swords. Uh, even as a little kid, I mean, we would have sword fights with anything. I remember we had this yellow wiffle ball bat. And I don't remember one time ever hitting a wiffle ball with that bat. It was always a sword, right? And it was sword fights, and you just thought you were some amazing fighter. Remember, I had this friend uh, named Matt, and I'd go over to Matt's house, at, uh, spend the night and different things. We played a lot over at Matt's house, and he had uh, a, a bear knife on his uh, dresser. He had all this cool stuff. And you know, bear knife with a curved blade and it's super sharp and it kind of goes over your hand. And I was just a kid, I wanted to see how sharp it was, but I didn't know how to do that. So I just ran my thumb across it and split my thumb open and had to get that all bandaged up and everything. And then he had this sword and I pulled it off the wall and was playing with the sword and his dad comes in and he's like, no, 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 no. I'll never forget this, I love this. He says, this house is too sharp for Ryland. You can't play here anymore. <laughs> Oh, but uh, who here remembers the master sword from the Legend of Zelda? Anybody? Anybody? What are some other famous swords? You've got Excalibur, of course. It's a famous sword. Uh, you've got Sting from the Lord of the Rings. It's a famous, powerful sword. Uh, can anybody tell me, I just took this screenshot from a movie, what sword this is? Braveheart, that's the sword of William Wallace. Of course, you've got like just different swords of famous people. I read this week about George Washington's sword collection, and he would often send into battles that he wasn't there for a sword, send, a, send along a sword. You can carry the sword of George Washington in with you. And you have all these different kinds of swords. Uh, of course, you've got two-handed swords. I have a little diagram of just several different kinds of swords. You get your two-handed swords and your short sword and uh, the cutlass and the machete and the saber and the uh, you killed my father, prepare to die sword. And <laughs> then of course you have the, the space laser sword. Come on somebody. Powerful sword. be with you in just a minute you know what's amazing about the lightsaber is you'll never believe me now but I've actually never really been like a Star Wars super fan and um and I couldn't like follow all of it. But then one day watching one of the movies, it all made sense to me when I realized 
that the whole movie is about lightsabers. That's it. Like if you're ever confused in a plot, just follow the lightsabers because it's all about who has a lightsaber, who doesn't have one, how to get one, what color it is, whose lightsaber you're holding, and there you've got the whole Star Wars plot. In fact, the story culminates, and I'm going somewhere with this, you'll have to trust me and just go along for the ride, please. But the story culminates with Rey going into battle, and she actually goes into battle with Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, and then gives it off to Ben, and then she finishes the battle with Leia's lightsaber, and they are victorious with the saber of Luke Skywalker, with the saber of Princess Leia, and that's actually like studying swords this week, uh, which I spent a lot of time doing. I'm like, yeah, you know, I actually got to study the Bible too. Um, but <laughs> studying swords this week, I realized and learned that oftentimes armies going into battle would take someone else's sword. So like the sword of William Wallace, for instance, after he died, the army would continue to take his sword into battle and even beforehand say, we're going to be victorious today. We have the sword of William Wallace with us. Or uh, the armies that would go in, they would say, we have the sword of George Washington. It's saying he endorses this battle. We wouldn't take his sword into a battle that he wouldn't be involved in. Uh, and, and it gave them confidence and would help give them victory because they're taking this other person whose power, whose meaning, represented something into their battle. You don't have to go in a battle with a weak sword, with a penknife, with your own sword. You get to go into battle, not with the sword of William Wallace or the sword of Luke Skywalker or the sword of George Wallace. You get to go into battle with the sword of the Spirit and use his sword. I need to put this away carefully because I borrowed this from a young Jedi who went all the way to Galaxy's Edge to get it. But what is the sword of the Spirit? How are we going to defeat our enemy? The sword is defensive, it's also offensive. What is a good sword for the believer? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The purpose of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is to make us strong and able to withstand evil, the onslaughts of the enemy, the schemes of the enemy. Ephesians six seventeen. let's just read this out loud together. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The purpose, that the Holy Spirit uses the, the purpose of His Word as a sword in our life to save souls, to give them spiritual strength, to build up soldiers uh, for the Lord in, in fighting it, the corrupt thoughts that we have, the corrupt world that we're in. And the more that we understand the Word of God, the more useful we'll be in doing the will of God. And the more effective we'll be in standing against the schemes of the enemy in our life, in our mind, in our soul. This phrase, the Word of God, comes up often in Scripture. It has a number of different meanings in Scripture. And it can mean either something that God has decreed. It could be something that God has said when addressing people, when addressing humans. Words that God spoke through the prophets. Jesus Christ is called the Word of God. The Word became flesh. 
Or finally, where all of this is canonized and we find all of it, the written word of God. How God has revealed who he is, uh, what he's up to, our purpose, how things have been created, how things will end, how things will go, and their purpose in between. And it's powerful, so much so that we got all this stuff on, righteousness, truth, faith, peace, this whole armor, and where did we get it? How do we know it? We know it from the word of God. It's so powerful, so much so that when Jesus is faced with temptation, temptation from the enemy, when Jesus is faced with suffering, actually when you read through the gospels in every pinnacle moment of Jesus' life, every hardest moment, he's quoting the word of God, and he would use God's word. Now, if there were anything more powerful to use in those moments, don't you think he would have used, used that? Like if there were something more meaningful, more powerful to use in times of suffering or times of just face to face with the enemy, that he would have used that thing. But what does he use? The word of God. Now notice that this sword and this armor is not yours, but it is God's. And if you're going to use this, you need uh, the Holy Spirit to understand it and the Holy Spirit to use it in your life. It's the Spirit's sword, not your sword. So number two, how can this sword protect me? How does God's word protect me in the day of evil and the schemes of enemy protect me in battle? The Bible works, you might write this down, as a sword on me and a sword for me. The Bible says that not only is this thing that I fight Satan with, um, and when he uses temptation, I use the, the word of God, that I use it back on him, but the Bible also says that I've got to let that sword work on me. And the reason that's so important is this verse about how it works in our lives and what it does in our lives. This is Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That it's all cut open. It's all open before him. And I, I don't want to have to have surgery on myself. I want the Holy Spirit to be holding that sword. And I trust him a lot more than I trust myself. He cuts to the deepest parts of my life. Slowly, gently, shows me the attitudes that I need to change. Shows me the actions I need to change. The new heart that I need to have. And I want him to be the surgeon that does that. He can judge the attitudes and actions of my heart through his word. You see, a lot of people try to use God's word to work on Satan before they've let it work on them. And they find out it doesn't work that way. If the sword is going to be part of your life, it cuts both ways. It's a double-edged sword. And that's the title of today's message, that the sword of the Spirit, it cuts both ways. Cuts into your life, then it can cut into the schemes of Satan. And many people want to use the sword only on others. They want to beat other people up with it. 
They want to cut other people down with it. They want to cut other people's arguments apart with it. I'll use it to prove you wrong and use it to prove me right. But it's got to work on me before I can use it to work on you. And it's got to work on me before I can use it to work against the schemes of the enemy. For instance, Satan says, uh, well, things, things are not going good for you. And you should be ashamed or you should be resentful. Uh, you're a failure. They're a failure. And uh, you should just give it all up. But what's the other side of that? God says, no, this is all redeemable. And God says, you're a holy person. And God says, you're acceptable in my sight. And I can choose to stand and wrestle with all of that and fall one way or the other, or I can just turn to God's word that has already cut that into me between bone and marrow, that it's become part of who I am, who I am in Christ has cut so deeply into me that now I can use that against the discouragement, against the temptation, against the struggle that Satan's trying to bait me into. But without God's word, I'll struggle with that every time. And it'll be more of a battle than it needs to be every time. The thing that gives you power to overcome, the power to choose, is God's word. And you'll find that you can overcome those temptations in your life. That you have that choice when you've let the word of God cut into you so deeply that it's given you the power to overcome, the power to make that choice. So how do I take up the sword of the Spirit? How do I take up this sword in such a way that it is powerful, that it is sharp? The sword of the Spirit it helps us to face struggles and difficulties in our life. It helps us to make the right decision. But if I don't know it, I can't take it up. So you might write this down. How do I take up the sword of the Spirit? I get near the Word of God and say the Word of God. I've got to get near the Word. And you're doing that today. We're preaching from the Word. We're singing songs rooted in uh, the Word of God. And if you're faithful in weekend services, if you're faithful to your small group or foundations or celebrate recovery, that means you're regularly, love it, getting the word, getting near the word of God. You don't understand the word of God overnight. It takes time. It takes exposure. It takes getting around it often. And you've got to get environment in environments where it's used. And then you'll know what it says and you'll know how to say it like Jesus did. So for instance, Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness and tempts him. What, what happens here, the context of this, is Jesus has just been baptized. And the Holy Spirit comes down on him and God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the fact that he's the son of God is affirmed in this, in this moment. God says it. Holy Spirit is on Jesus. And Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tempted. And Satan comes and offers him all the kingdoms of this world, tempts him to use his power to make bread out of stones, and Jesus is able to say no based on the word of God in his life. I'll show you this in Matthew 4. Then Jesus, so after the baptism, then Jesus was led 
by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, what's he doing? He's immediately questioning the word that Jesus just got from God. And he's taking the word of God and questioning it, distorting it, saying, well, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, and if you're so hungry, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying, this is not what satisfies me. Bread is not ultimately what satisfies me. I'm being satisfied by the word that I just got from God. And he let it cut into his life so deeply that this is not even, yeah, tempt me all you want, but I'm satisfied by the word I got from God. And what Satan does to you and to me is God says, well, you don't have to be afraid. And we get that word from God. And Satan comes and says, well, you are afraid. Uh, You're afraid you're going to lose someone you love. Or you're afraid you're going to... uh, not going to succeed at something that you've been dead set on succeeding at. And you're scared. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The word of God has got to be what's pleasing to you. Not your performance. Not what you have, don't have. Because you and I have not been tempted to turn stones into bread. But we're tempted to misuse our strengths all the time. And temptation is not always about weakness. Many times temptation is about misusing our strength. And we're tempted to use our influence for selfish reasons. If you're persuasive, you can be tempted to be manipulative. The devil wants us to use our God-given abilities and strengths and gifts. He wants us to use our shape for evil purposes, for selfish reasons. And Jesus understood that the only thing that will satisfy is God's word. And the word of God is something Jesus continually went to. I ask again, if there were a better weapon, would Jesus not have used it? If there were a better technique, would not Jesus have used it? And it's obvious here, obvious here, this clears up. It's not as if you're struggling with temptation, if you're being bothered uh, by something, that's not a sin. It's a sin to follow through with it when God has given you a way out. Because in that moment, you followed the word of the enemy rather than the word of God. So don't don't resist the temptation. Turn your mind to God and the word of God. Because the way out is his word. It's so powerful that even the enemy used it. So the second temptation, the enemy comes back and distorts a, a, a verse from Psalm 91. And sometimes people will do that. They'll use convincing arguments or maybe even use a Bible verse uh, for their point or to support their view. But because it's the word of God, we use the word of God to interpret the word of God. And if that's really the point of view, it's got to hold up entirely, right? And you've got to take the word, take the gospel, for it is written, so I've been given the truth, the righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the armor is on. And now you can go into battle with the word of God that you've been given, that you are right with God, that you have been rescued. And that's what you've got to take deep down and let it cut deep. Okay, listen to me carefully here. 
the Bible does not become your sword until you internalize it. It does no good in here. It is not powerful in here. But when you internalize it into your mind, because that's where the battle is. Remember, we've talked about that. The battle's in the mind. So if the words are only in here and they're not in here, then you don't have a sword with you in the battlefield of the mind. And when you take the truth from here and you put it in here, see, Jesus is modeling this for us. He says, well, it is written. Jesus didn't pull out a pocket Old Testament and say, well, somewhere in Deuteronomy, it says, just hang, just hang on, enemy, just wait a second. I had this underlined somewhere, I thought. Okay, you make a good point, but there's a counterpoint coming. Could you just hang on while I make a phone call and we'll be right back and deal with this temptation? No, when, when you're most tempted, you have a moment to make a decision. And you don't have a Bible with you, right? That's when you're most tempted. And you've got to get the truth in here into the battlefield where it's going to happen so you can respond quickly in battle. You've got to internalize it. Internalize verses that help you with the temptations that you're facing, to help you with the emotions that you're battling. So it's been a while uh, since we've done this, uh, but we're going to memorize a verse together. And before we do that, just let me give you a, a couple of things and uh, maybe some ways to, to do this. Uh, but just a few things that are going to help with internalizing the Bible. Again, you've got to get near it. You've got to get near the stories, the accounts, the poetry, the points, the letters, all of the things that make up the Bible. And of course, you can't, you can't memorize your whole Bible, but you've got to get near it to where these thoughts coming, coming to mind. This is, this is big. Let's wait to go to that, Grant, please. So have, are you like me that sometimes you get an impression from God but you wonder, is this actually from God or am I making this up? Is this really from God or is this what I want to do? Is, is this really uh, from God or is it just making sense to me right now? And you struggle with what's from God and what's from me. What I have found is the longer I walk with God and the more I internalize his word, the clearer and clearer and clearer that struggle uh, is becoming. Because you get an impression and you're able to say, you know, that pretty much aligns with what he told this person or what he did in this or how he moved in this or what he says here. And you're able to rightly divide the word of God in your life as you become closer and closer. So before you go to memorize a verse, you've got to know the context of your verse. For instance, we can memorize Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But then the temptation might be to run out and think, well, I'm going to make every basket I shoot and become an Olympian and overcome every battle I face because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But when you know that the context of that is a man in prison and going through suffering and he's saying, I can be content in all circumstances. And even though I'm going through this suffering right now, I can have contentment and I can have victory that I can overcome this. It becomes much more powerful in your life. Because then you're not just reciting something like a parrot or a robot. You know how that, the implications of it in your life in that moment. 
So let me give you five techniques here uh, of, and you, I've given you space to write these down, of to go to internalize something or memorize something. One is to keep it in front of you. So put it up on your dashboard, put it up on your desk, write it on the ice cream carton, write it on the cereal box, like keep it in front of you and the things that you're looking at. Number two, listen to it. So maybe take out a voice memo on your phone and say the verse and then listen to it over and over and over again and that exposure to it is going to help you internalize it. Number three, act it out. Like if there's an action step you can take or something in that verse to, to jog your memory or to put that into it, like put motions to it, act it out. Number four, memorize with someone. So maybe there's just someone else in your small group or maybe someone at your work or something like that who wants to do that too. Just tell them, hey, I'm memorizing this verse in a few days, ask me about it. And just champion one another with that. Encourage one. I'll do this with Will Chalicombe every once in a while. Uh, I'll say, Pastor Will, I'm memorizing this verse. And just solely because I want his encouragement. I know he'll ask me about it later. Oftentimes he'll memorize it with me. And number five, I learned this one this year and I'm really enjoying this one. It's, it's called the first letter technique. And so you take the verse or verses or passage that you want to internalize and you write out the first letter of each word. And maybe you even write out the first letter of each word as you say it because you can write that as fast as you can, as you can say it. And then you have the first letter of each word and you can look at that and that can help you help you say it, help you do it. So you end up with a really weird long word like and then that can become your tattoo, right? <laughs> Don't do that, okay. So we're going to memorize Second uh, Timothy. Let's put this up here today. We'll just cut, this is how we're closing the message today. Second Timothy, this is chapter one, verse seven. Second Timothy one, seven. We'll read this out loud several times, and we'll read it with the first letter technique, and then we'll recite it um, with nothing up there. Second Timothy 1, 7, let's read it together. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7, again, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, of self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7, again, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline, 2 Timothy 1.7, one more time, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Okay, let's see it in the first, oh, 2 Timothy 1.7, thank you. Let's see it in the first letter technique. So here's, here it is. Say it out loud together. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. One more time. 
For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7. All right, let's make this blank up here, Grant. Let's say it together. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7. Let's pray that verse together. Heavenly Father, uh, you know the, the habits, the temptations, the ways that we're going to be tempted to fall. Lord, you know this week the fears that we're going to have. Lord, we don't know exactly what they'll be, but you know what's coming. You know what the fears that we will face. Uh, the lies that we'll be tempted to believe. Uh, things happening in the world, things happening around us, things happening in our family, uh, things happening in our own life. We may become uh, afraid of another person or a situation. But God, we pray that you would cut deep into our life today the spirit that you have given us. That there is power in Jesus' name. There is power in the word of God. There is power to love someone in the face of fear. And you've given us self-discipline. Lord, we want our strengths to be used for good. We want our life to be used for good. You know what we're facing right now. Help us to uphold and honor your word of truth, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.